Hello friends, this is the HiFiA podcast, an investigation into the future from the perspective of doers, makers and thinkers. We discuss ideas, solutions and technologies with experts, scientists and the smartest people on the planet. We bring hope into daily conversation about state of the planet and our sustainable future. Our today's guest is a CEO of Celsibus, Swedish company catalyzing the transition to a fossil-free energy system. Patrick Stavsvede. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Ingi. Great to have nice you to here. To you. Yeah, great to have you here on the show. I know you're a busy man, incredibly busy. You bring innovation into this world. You have Celsius with hydrogen. You've got Luna LEC with liquid light. I've seen Airframe with eye protection, and I heard about Omnia, the biotech research. That's a lot of stuff. So. Uh, what's your story? What, what, how did you get where you are today? Well, I've always been very curious and uh, a lot of innovation excites me. And that's where I end up where I am. I guess that I have a hard time saying no. And I just love being along with people that excites me and challenges my mind. And uh, that's where I've ended up in with so many different hats. Mm-hmm. But uh, now I've figured out that uh, what the, we really need is to transition to fossil-free environment. So it's really time that we try to change it as fast as we can and with as much energy as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let, let's let's talk about Celsius. Can you tell me a little bit about your company and your products? Well, what we're doing is that we're trying to make fuel cells more environmentally friendly and cheaper. And that will allow the transition to a hydrogen economy to go much faster. Mm-hmm. Because we firmly believe that if we're going to have a fossil-free energy generation, we're going to need a lot of energy storage. And the way that you can do that in with reasonable capital expenditure is by using hydrogen as the energy carrier. And what we mean with an energy carrier is that hydrogen is not a fuel itself. It's just a means of making energy available when and where you need it. So that uh, as we go to have more solar power and more wind power on the energy grid, that means that you're going to get energy when you need it and you will not have energy when you need it. So... Can I get that right? You're going to get energy (laughs) when it's produced by solar power and wind power when you actually have the sun shining and the wind blowing, which is not necessarily when you need the energy. Mm -hmm. But then if you're looking at California, just as a prime example, uh, California is installing more and more renewable energy into their grid. And therefore, they get excess energy on a growing scale. So they actually have to tell some of their windmills and uh, sun power generators to actually shut down generation when it's too windy and too sunny. But on the other hand, like we saw in August, when they really needed and have peaks, they have to go into rolling blackouts because they don't have enough energy. So you get a disproportionate balance there Mm -hmm. that you don't have energy when you need it, but you have it when you don't need it. So you need to have some energy storage there. And people tend to think that you can do that with batteries, but it's on a so huge scale that you actually need to store energy that 
batteries not viable options. And that's where hydrogen come in because you can use a electrolyzer, which actually takes this excess energy and splits water into hydrogen and oxygen. And then you can store the hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And uh, the marginal cost for building large scale energy storage, it's much cheaper than if you're using batteries. So you need an electrolyzer like it's the main capital expenditure that actually takes the electricity and converts the water into hydrogen and oxygen. And then you need the storage and it's the storage that you need to expand. Mm -hmm. So you can think about batteries versus hydrogen that if you're storing hydrogen, you just have to build a larger gas tank. Mm -hmm. And this can be done like in salt domes where you actually have huge cavities that can be used for this. Or if you go to batteries, you actually have to build larger batteries to have more energy storage. So that's the big marginal cost difference between hydrogen storage and electricity storage in batteries. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me ask you this, because a lot of conversation about hydrogen revolves around cars and how to power cars. So you're, uh, you're talking about different problem, which is the, sto the, the, the energy storage where renewables energy creates energy in the in a peak moment when there's a sun when there's a wind and then we don't then it doesn't produce any energy when it's 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 gone uh but the hydrogen could be used as a storage uh what about cars what about you know transport do you right. no I, I think that you need to put it in in that context that hydrogen will be used as an energy carrier okay and then it's the question of how do you actually use it for the best usage of energy when you actually convert it back into electricity? So then you can have stationary equipment where you have power plants that generate electricity back from hydrogen, or you can have it in on a smaller scale. You can have it either distributed in your house mm -hmm. to provide both hot water and electricity, or you can have it in your cars so that you put hydrogen in your cars and you let the fuel cell in your cars convert the hydrogen back to electricity to drive your electric motor in the car. Mm -hmm. So the way I see it is that if you're going to drive an electric car, you're going to need a fuel cell. The question is just, do you put the fuel cell in front of the charger where you charge your battery uh, electric vehicle, or do you put the fuel cell in the car where you can actually fill up with hydrogen and let the fuel cell in the car convert it to electric to electricity and you can drive your electric car that way and that's going to be a balance it's not going to be either or mm -hmm. it's going to be uh, a lot of small cars where it will be more efficient to have batteries because you're not driving so far you don't have that high payloads so having a battery in your car makes most sense. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to drive long distances and if you're going to have towing a lot of uh, heavy transportation, like for trucks or even trains and ferries, then it doesn't make sense to carry a heavy battery. There you would have a fuel cell, which is the heavy portion of the fuel cell plus the hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And then you will store hydrogen to take you further. Mm -hmm. And Thinking about it, the first time that fuel cells came into play, it was not as 
a fuel cell for a car, it was as a range extender. So you would have an electric battery electric car, and then you would put a fuel cell in there with hydrogen tank just in order to make it go further. Mm-hmm. And then you can think of that as an optimization problem. How b- much battery do I want? How much fuel cell and storage capacity do I want? Mm-hmm. So I think that for cars and trucks, we're going to see both battery-driven vehicles as well as fuel cell-driven vehicles. It's going to be a question of what is best optimized for the different purposes that these vehicles use. Mm-hmm. I, I have an interesting question uh, about air travel because the uh, there is this idea of uh, ele- like ele- like powered ele- electricity powered uh, plane for example but hydrogen is so much lighter right is it possible to right. p- power a plane with hydrogen it has actually been proven just recently that a fuel stack powered plane actually took off and showed that it is possible. And now we're talking still small planes. So I can't vouch for the possibility to make it on a larger scale. Um, My gut feeling is that it might be better to have synthetic fuels for Mm -hmm. aviation rather than go the hydrogen route. But uh, I'm not, not, I don't know enough about uh, the possibilities there to to give a judgment but it's definitely feasible Mm -hmm. so you can do it but then is it the optimal use of it i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a lot of the conversation is uh, usually about efficiency and that's 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 where i hear a lot of problems with hydrogen is the loss of efficiency you know along the along the pipelines of how it's being produced going from you know the power plants to to the car where there could be a leakage and you know potential safety problems do you do you like do you have that at the back of your head the potential like let me wrap it up differently i see the hydrogen become becoming a new oil in a perception of my like people think about hydrogen in a similar way as they think about as they used to think about oil and when i read uh, the international energy agency reports on hydrogen it seems like it's just starting to become mainstream there is a lot of infrastructure has to be built to make it possible uh to, to 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 provide enough hydrogen but at the same time when we talk about hydrogen there's so much different ways to op- to obtain hydrogen. Like, I'm, I'm curious, uh, because you portray the picture of hydrogen as, as, as a piece of the puzzle uh, to this whole energy picture, like what's going to happen. I'm curious, can you tell me about the business model you have in your company right now? Do you sell technology? Do you sell a particular type of you know, technology in hydrogen? Right. Yeah, when it comes to to our company, Celsius, we're just a tiny part of the overall puzzle. But what we do is that uh, we develop a catalyst for the fuel cell, Mm -hmm. uh, more specifically for a proton exchange membrane fuel cell, the so-called PEM fuel cell. That is the one that's gaining most traction when it comes to transportation, because it has shorter response time so that you can actually have a variety of power out from that type of fuel cell and it's quicker to start up 
Whereas when you're looking at big power plants, they usually have solid oxide fuel cells nowadays because they're running at a little bit higher efficiency, but then they run at very high temperatures and you just want to keep them at one given level all the time. Whereas then the PEM fuel cell is dynamic. Mm-hmm. But the PEM fuel cell, it needs a catalyst in order to reduce the oxygen when you are doing the uh, the reaction between oxygen and hydrogen to get to water and electricity, because that's what happens in the fuel cell is a reverse electrolysis, essentially. So you combine hydrogen and oxygen, you get water and electricity. Mm-hmm. And in order to make that happen uh, control in a controlled way at low temperatures, we're talking about 80 degrees instead of 300 then you have to have a catalyst. Mm -hmm. And today that catalyst is made of platinum or alloys thereof. And uh, if you're looking at projections of what's going to happen when uh, you start to produce fuel cells in volumes, is that the platinum itself will be a very costly component, like up to 50% of the entire fuel cell stack will Mm -hmm. be platinum costs. So therefore we see a need to reduce the catalyst cost in fuel cells in order to make them viable for mass deployment. Today, when the Toyota Mirai is more competing with the Tesla, you don't care about uh, $1,000 more or less because it's not that marginal cost that will make it to break the car. But when you're talking about everyday people's cars, then you need to actually get down the cost of the fuel cell. And then you need to actually have another catalyst. And that's where we have developed a catalyst that's completely free from noble metals. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, much cheaper to produce in volumes. And we can also have much better control over the raw material sourcing because if you're looking at platinum production today, it's South Africa, it's Zimbabwe, it's Russia, It's Canada that's politically stable, but then most of the platinum is actually sourced from countries where we have very little insight into the mining production. So if you're looking at what's happening on the battery front with all of the cobalt questions, we can see that that might spill over in the future to platinum as well. And in order to keep the costs down for platinum, you need to have a very efficient recycling of spent fuel cells as well. So we think that it's really important that you can address the problem with platinum and thereby address the cost for Mm -hmm. fuel cells. And that's what we have done. We have developed this catalyst that doesn't need platinum. So now we still have some additional viability and durability and optimization work to do, but uh, we're planning on selling this as a catalyst and additionally as a complete electrode assembly to the fuel cell stack manufacturers so that they can have something that's more environmentally sustainable and cheaper so that we can have more fuel cells out there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay we got we got a little bit technical <laughs> <laughs> right but uh so the point is the the platinum is an expensive metal and you found a way to, to to change that platinum into something that is not as expensive. Therefore, 
enabling mass production or you know higher output of the fuel cells essentially exactly that's a very good uh, summary that uh, we can avoid using very expensive fancy metals that are currently used in jewelry and okay. instead of using that in fuel cells we can take something very much more common and abundant and therefore we make the the fuel cells much cheaper and we can also avoid a lot of the the questionable mining practices so that we know that no children are used for labor mm. in these tiny mining or operations etc mm. it's getting better by the day of course in in those industries as well but when uh, if you're going to have a high peak in demand you never know what might happen so we feel that uh, making sure that you have full control of your raw material sources is very important as well yeah yeah it well it also depends what kind of material are you using instead of platinum you're not saying i i can imagine this is a trade secret in a way or is it is, is it not right no that, yeah. that's part of our trade secrets so, but uh, i can tell you that we're not using any noble metals we're using uh we're using I shouldn't say minerals, but we're using substances that are very common. And it also makes it possible that if we want to start production in a lot of different places in the world, we can find raw material sources locally. So we don't have to transport it all mm -hmm. across the world, actually, just to get to our factories. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, it, it may be a dumb question, uh, but that's why I'm here for what could be a downside of using hydrogen on a mass scale, assuming that the cost of it goes down. Is there a possibility that at some point we're going to run into a similar problem as with fossil fuels, but with hydrogen, I, I don't know, hundred years from now, we start pump pumping water and energy into it and the entire economy runs on it. Is there a possibility it could backfire in some unforeseen way right now? none that i can foresee there is always the the unknown unknowns of course but uh, given that hydrogen is one of the most common substances as it is already we're not making much of a dent and when we do we're just borrowing it for a while so we're just exchanging hydrogen to water and back um, I mean, one of the problems that I've seen with it is that, of course, you need more renewable sources in order to uh, create all the hydrogen that might be needed in different applications, because already today, hydrogen is used in a lot of industrial applications, in refineries, etc. So hydrogen is commonly used as a gas today but uh, only a small fraction of it is produced from renewable sources and if mm. we really want to go fossil free then of course we need to have the hydrogen produced from renewable sources i think that's one of the misconceptions a lot of people have about hydrogen it sounds like a new technology but it actually is a technology that is already existing 
let me ask you this do you follow uh any developments when it comes to infrastructure of like uh hydrogen how how it looks like in europe and sweden are there any major investment happening right now when it comes to hydrogen when it comes to hydrogen there is a lot of projects in the pipeline the eu commission has uh, commissioned that by let's see if i get this right now uh, but by they have uh, put a large sum of money on the table in projects to create both infrastructure when it comes to transportation like pipelines as well as to electrolyze electrolyzers so that you would have the actual production of um, uh, of the hydrogen from a from renewable sources mm -hmm. there is uh, a lot of different both local and regional initiatives where you have hydrogen valleys as they call them where they invest money both in the generation and the transportation and will have local offtake as well mm -hmm. so uh from your perspective looking at like those investments and the business landscape you find yourself in what do you think needs to happen to push the expansion further or is it already going at the right speed well it's already going in the right direction but uh, you have to make sure that everybody's playing on an even playing field mm -hmm. so one of the things that you have to consider is uh, carbon tax for instance should you have a, a further expansion of uh, carbon tax so that you can put uh, products produced on an even footing? Because today, when you're producing shoes, for instance, and you're getting it from China, where they have a large portion of coal-powered electricity that has actually produced these shoes, and you compare that with something that's produced with renewable electricity, you're contributing to that carbon emission, even if you're not actively yeah. using electricity. So it's, I think that that's one thing where you need to have a, to put the world on equal footing. So it's not cheaper to produce somewhere where they don't have the same carbon taxations for instance mm -hmm. so carbon taxes that's the that's the way we put equal footing on the world like there are a lot of developing countries there is yeah, yeah. there's there's one way i don't say that you have to have it equal but you have to think about it how you structure it to to make it more uh, to make it easier to actually transition to renewable fuels and mm -hmm. It's a tough one because if you're looking at the tax base today of many countries, they're getting it from uh, gasoline and diesel, for instance, because they're putting heavy taxation on that. And if you then let all of the hydrogen powered vehicles go without taxation on the fuel, that means that, well, you have to get money for road maintenance etc from some other source and is that fair maybe not yeah, yeah. so uh, it, it's a tricky it's not you can't just say that 
just because it's renewable hydrogen, it should be tax-free. And I don't agree with that, but uh, you have to put your boundaries there and know what your policies are so that you get the right stimulus effect without the downsides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I don't feel... I don't feel really qualified to get into this conversation about carbon taxation too much. I, I know what this is about, but as you're talking about this whole energy patchwork, what do you see the most optimal way to approach energy systems in Europe and worldwide within the next 10 years? Do we, do you think like the focus on renewables is, well, should we put as much influence on that particular area or the nuclear is, is an option? What do you see the landscape of energy in, in 10 years? Oh, now we are getting into a lot of personal opinions and mm. uh, I've been away from the energy grid system for, for a while, but I used to work at a US utility and I got to see a lot of different aspects of the energy grid. And I'm, I'm very fond of nuclear. I know mm -hmm. that there is a lot of downside, uh, very high risk, but uh, looking at the US operators of nuclear power that I'm most familiar with, I feel very comfortable with how they are operating. So I still think that nuclear has a, a future. I'm not sure that you should build new ones though. Mm -hmm. Because there we have to make a, a determination whether it's really worthwhile to do that or if we should go with um, just renewable sources. But I feel very much that things that you already have in the ground that's not really detrimental, you should try to keep going for as long as possible mm -hmm. so that you actually get the benefits of that. And... Uh, the same is with uh, a lot of the gas and oil fired generation that we have currently in place. It's going to be very hard to replace that with renewable energy at once. So it's going to be an optimization game that which ones can we actually make use of with some blend of uh, renewable energy. So can we put hydrogen into some of the gas turbines to make them less polluting? Or can we install carbon capture solutions? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of things that are, we just should just try to reduce as quick as possible, but we shouldn't do something stupid. We shouldn't rush into just shutting down all the fossil fired generation, because then we'll get into other problems with the stability of the grid and not having enough generations in places that we need it. And that's also one of the things that I see with the transition to renewables, that the quality of the energy generators on the grid will be quite different. Mm -hmm. So that's a big challenge for a lot of the grid operators going forward, that how can we maintain the quality of the energy when we're only relying on renewable sources. Mm -hmm. So that's where you, I also see that you need to have energy storage, probably in the form of hydrogen, so you can boost the quality of uh, the generation. Mm -hmm. And it might be also a lot of distributed generation, because if you can have 
generation close to where you're using it, then you can also increase the quality of the grid easier than if you're just having a few large main plants for generation. Mm -hmm. You mentioned carbon capture technology, and a lot of that is like wishful thinking. Uh, a lot of it is being you know ground tested right now, but the problem is also the scale of the operation. Do you think it's a viable option? Uh, I, I, I do like the way you've, you you put it, that we are not going to just suddenly turn it off, the, the entire fossil fuel industry. We're not going to turn it off because there's going to be a problem with, with grid stability. So we are facing the blend blending. I like this approach. But at the same time, that blending kind of takes into account carbon capture, which is... And it's also about? a question of speed. Do we really make the transition quick enough if we allow this blending? Because we all know that climate change is here and we really need to do things quickly. Exactly. And I mean, I was very naive. I didn't see the need to rush and act quickly. I, I think that I was believing in our technological capability with carbon capture so that that would solve the problem. So I didn't really realize the need to go from fossil fuel until later than a lot of others in the industry did. But I think that, yes, carbon capture is viable. The question is, though, if we can make it viable at a reasonable cost. Mm. And I don't know. It's a, I think that it's a, a learning curve as well that when we have made a, a lot of carbon capture installations, of course, we will learn how to do it and how to make it cost efficient. But it's always a, a big technological step to take to make enough installations that will make it cost efficient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you're in like you're working currently in the energy kind of transport uh, area, the Celsius, the hydrogen kind of covers the, those two areas. Uh, but do you see yourself expanding into different spaces? You mentioned that we are running out of time. This is a lot of people are grasping the concept, just grasping this idea right now. A lot of mass public, it's not really a word to that extent of like how fast we have to move, but you know, right? Like, you know, that we have to innovate and, and transform industry after industry after industry, and we have to do it within 10 years. This is, this is this is a huge undertaking yeah it is yeah uh no i wish i would have the the capacity to take on a lot of these different uh, technologies and transition areas but right now i see that uh, i have to focus where i can make the most difference and i have found the niche where i think that we can run quickest and have uh, the best impact then in five, 10 years, it might be a different story. But uh, for now, I'll try to make uh, the fuel cells happen. And that I'm, will be enough. I'm just curious, how's your, how, how, how does your day look like? You, see, you, you sit down, you do science, you, you work with scientists. Can you, can you walk, walk me through it? Well, it's a, it's a mix, of course. I mean, there's uh, questions in the lab as to what kind of uh, experiments have been ongoing, what kind of advances do they make? 
And then it's a question of talking to future investors. What do they want to see and want to know how, how we're doing? Because we're not selling enough products yet to have a, a positive cash flow. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it's a question of reading up on what's happening out in the industry to see, try to map what's going on. And uh, then it's also a question of, uh, what should I say? All the mundane st- stuff is making track, making sure your accounting is on track, making sure mm-hmm. that you can apply for all the grants that are available. So it's a lot of, it's a big mixture. And that's what I write, really like with these startups that you have to get into the nitty gritty details as well as look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned working with investors. Uh, do you usually work with investors, impact investors who are not necessarily focused on the profit straight on? Like this is not their core uh, focal point, but more of a you know look at the future. And I, I, I heard this, this is a problem when there's a potential investment coming in and people ask about return of investment and a lot of stuff that is sustainable, it just takes time to, 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 to profit off, right? It, it, do, you, do you struggle with communicating that kind of impact you can have? I think it, it's the case with most investments is that they take a lot of time when it's in startups and small companies that you really need to find investors that are in it for the long haul. It's very, uh, all of the startups I've worked with and in the communities I've worked with, it always takes a long time to actually generate cash flow from good ideas. Uh, as soon as it's hardware involved or technology, it's going to take time to verify and optimize and scale up. But with the renewable energy systems, you usually have a larger problem with scale up that even if we can show that something is viable in a small scale it actually takes big investments to make sure that it's uh, viable on a larger scale and uh, there it's uh, when we're now looking in the in the hydrogen space for instance i don't think it's going to be a problem because there is a lot of people interested in seeing that this is something that will happen. But the problem then is then, is it a hype again? Will this interest fade in in five years? Mm -hmm. And like we had a hype in hydrogen investments in like 12, 13 years ago when the industry wasn't really mature and ready for it. And that has scared some investors away. But uh, there are more and more investors realizing that when it comes to the climate change, it is something that will impact us all and you need to invest in now in order to reap future benefits. So I think that more and more investors are realizing that uh, they have to be more patient when it comes to these solutions. Because there's also no silver bullet. It's not like we can say that, well, fix hydrogen and we fix climate change. Now, that will not be fast enough and it will be not on the scale enough. We need to actually work with everything we can 
in the climate change area to really make uh, all the necessary changes. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a uh, do you think it's a problem of people just not seeing all the things that are happening at the same time, uh, real time? Like, think about it that way. If we have a problem that we know of for the past 30, 40 years, we have a range of solutions that could be implemented in various industries, starting from education, through food, to the way we, I don't know, the way we handle transport and the way we grow food in it. We know all those different solutions that could be implemented. Why are we not there yet? Do you think this is a problem of a narrative of the way we see climate change not as a, an opportunity to, to, to revamp the, the old system, the old technologies, but rather as a, as a boring disaster? It's, it, 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 it feels like a boring disaster. It feels like a movie that you go see a movie. Would you go to see a movie in which you don't know what happened because every, every, like we saved the planet, but you don't know the story behind it. Like there was no bomb that went off. And the best case scenario is like, it's never going to go off. We're going to survive. But all that energy that goes in, all that money that goes in is just going to keep us where we are right now. I think that's, what do you think about it? No, I think that there is a lot to that story that uh, it's creeping up on us so slowly. So that's why people are not reacting as quickly as we would like. I mean, the, the comparison has been made by others to the COVID pandemic that's occurring right now that just because it comes from nowhere and it's a sudden burst and then we're putting all our efforts into containing it. Climate change has really crept up on us and we're slowly, slowly poisoning the earth, but it's not a sudden event that we can actually uh, address. And that's why it's so boring. We've already gotten used to it, that uh, we know that it's, the storms are getting stronger, we're getting more forest fires, some islands are going to be swallowed up. Some beaches are going to be eroded away. But it, it's just little by little. It's not like we're going from status one to status two in a month. Because then people would be all over it. And that's I think, is one of the harder narratives to, to explain. And it's also a cure. Mm -hmm. Because instead of taking a vaccine that will actually protect you from evil, there are a bunch, a gazillion of small changes you have to do. And that's the boring narrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I have to walk the stairs instead of taking the elevator, if I need to raise my inside temperature so the air conditioning runs a little bit less, if I do the, the other way around, I keep it a little colder in my Swedish home in the winter, not to use so much heating. That's not the silver bullet. Yeah, that's yeah. what people want. People want the silver bullet to yeah, actually tell me what, what I have to do and fix the climate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that, and, that, is, uh, that is the problem. But I, well, it is a problem of behavioral change, in a way, right? Like, it's not like. It's not like those small things that don't matter. Like that's the perspective, like the, the, the climate change, I think is the problem. 
uh, because it's 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 in slow motion as you mentioned it, it happens so slowly and you get used to it uh, our mind is not perceiving the like the the way you look at the the plant at any given time it it feels static that's what nature feels like it feels static and now we have to do like one small thing but you know the second person is going to do the same thing the third person fourth fifth person we are in this weird situation where we have to start implementing all those different changes in a I personally think the only way to do it is to make it as cool as possible. Think Avengers, but for climate change, you know, like yep. make that part of a culture. Like there is no, I think there's no different way to do it. Like turn mm -hmm. you into a superhero, essentially, you know, people who are fighting like that's, I think that's the, that's the direction that it has to take. Like the people who are actively fighting for the, for the, for the future using technology, but also it's not easy, I can imagine, to like, to be in this peculiar position. Do you, do, well, you feel, do you feel lonely in a way that... No, 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 no. I feel average and I don't feel like I'm doing my part either. I mean, oh, I'm driving, on. I'm flying, and I know that there there's a lot of things that I could do additionally, but I'm too comfortable. Oh, I, I still yeah. want to live a, a comfortable life and it's hard to make all of these adjustments and I mean, you justify for yourself that, well, I'm trying to save the planet, so therefore I can drive to, to work. Well, it doesn't really work that way, but still I do it. Oh. So, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's, it's a matter of like, if we have it, we are not going to give it up. And there are people who don't right. have it and they look at us and they, they want it too. And suddenly we have entire Africa that's about to you know it's a huge market we're gonna have two billion more people in africa in the next what 20 years and uh, right it, it just boggles my mind how we are like a frog that's sitting in a in a pan and you're heating the water yeah <laughs> exactly no i get the picture and uh i'm afraid that that's where we all are and even me then who is I feel pretty well educated in the field. I don't take all the measures I could. Then why could I say to other people that you should? It doesn't work that way. So it's going to be a, a hard reckoning when everybody will have to adjust to a lower standard of living, I think. We're going to realize that in the future, if we don't solve this, we're all going to have to have less food we're going to have less water we're going to have less living space just in order to survive mm -hmm. which is a pretty bleak picture but uh, we we also have to face it with open eyes i think i think the way to solve this and that's my take on it please be as critical as you can is to paint the picture of such a beautiful future visualize the future that we can get with all the support that science can get at this point that the climate conversation is just is is out of the question like nobody's gonna uh con nobody's gonna talk about climate in a bad way if we wrap it up as a transition to a different type of civilization where we it's like we're gonna solve that problem by focusing on a different bigger thing that's inspirational that's aspirational that kind of promises everybody to be a billionaire 
at some point like who wouldn't have wouldn't have that kind of a future where right. you literally are the billionaire yeah no and uh, i mean there are so many opportunities out there i mean as i mentioned there is not a silver bullet yeah and that means that there are so many opportunities that each one of us can make a difference because none of us is going to have the solution that fixes it all. So that uh, everybody who's interested in making a change and making impact actually can make impact and change and contribute both to the well-being of the planet as well as the well-being of your own wallet. Because if you succeed in actually making impact on the climate, then there will be a silver lining to it as well. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a uh, that's a thing that that not a lot of people focus on, which is the climate change. Well, the change brings opportunities, and if you figure out something, it's it's a, it's a huge opportunity to to rethink the way we operate and the the way we make money, the way we look for money, the way we exchange services and goods. I see that as a wow. Like, I was born in the right time to to, to be a witness to it of that. I'm just excited for the future, but what I want to ask you about Greta Thunberg. She's Swedish. Do you have a strong uh, stance when it comes to her? What do you What do you think about the way she approaches and the way she talks about uh, climate? Well, I think it, it's wonderful that we have such a great representative for the need for climate change that comes from from Sweden because she's really putting a face on it all saying that, well, you aren't acting fast enough. There is just a lot of talk. You need to act now. And then, I mean, she started as a teenager with, a, of course, a little bit of naivete, but that's what we're expecting from the youth. They should be more rebellious. They should demand more action because we older farts, we actually are slower. We know that you need to think about both this and that before you act. But we need somebody like her to kick us in the behind all the time to keep going and keep accelerating what we're doing. Hmm. Then, of course, not everything might be feasible on a, on a grander scale. I mean, not everybody can travel across the Atlantic on a sailboat. That's not realistic. But she makes us think, is that additional trip really necessary? Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that um, the current pandemic has taught us, that there are other ways of doing a lot of things that might be easier on the climate. You can schedule things differently. You can do things more efficiently. And uh, I think that uh, that's the upside from the current pandemic, actually, that we will learn to do things differently in a smarter way, that no climate change advocate ever could have succeeded with. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, this is uh, what Greta has been talking about a lot of the time. I mean, do a lot of more things from home. Don't travel so much and uh, think about how you're doing things most efficiently. So I think that she's... Uh, really a good representative of of the youth movement demanding action from us adults well do more with less back with right. fuller <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I know we've kind of brushed off this topic a lot of times already, but can you give me your personal perspective on, of, on the most optimal course of action that will mitigate the worst effects, but also put us in the right position within the next 10 years? Yeah, well, we've touched upon it. And uh, I definitely think that we, it comes down to, to energy generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really where we need to expand. We need to expand the amount of renewable energy on a large scale. And then how we actually utilize that energy, that's going to be an optimization problem. But as long as we're keeping on burning coal without carbon capture, then we're heading for disaster. So really overcoming the the, the need for electricity generation by renewable sources is really what we need to focus on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, this is a bigger one. This is about you having 30 seconds of everybody on the planet. Attention, <laughs> everybody's listening to you right now. 30 seconds. What would you say to people? Uh, Today is the day when you actually have the possibility of making a good leap forward for the planet. That uh, there are so many opportunities there that you can imagine how we can do things easier on the planet with less energy and achieve more. When it comes to climate change, it's not about everybody else doing something or some or anybody else solving the problem this is something that we all need to take our piece of action in and therefore i ask you to actually think about what you can do for the planet today that takes us on the right path to reverse climate change nice <laughs> well, that's so, sounded smart it's a little bit <laughs> no preposterous almost no you want to give uh, it another try it's or a no? little vague <laughs> no i think I, I think it's good i think uh, it's good yeah i think it's it's all about like asking yourself like actually having like having a courage to ask yourself a lot of people are just you know there's this there's a statement people say are you like have you woken up and a lot of times nobody asks from what and i and i think it's it's a matter of just just realizing what kind of situation we are in right now and like waking up right now means to actually connect the dots and see that the world is not run by perfect machines we 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 made the decisions and now those decisions have to be changed we need to change them we need to look for different decisions I think a lot of that stuff that we discuss, a lot of the solutions that we're going to look for are partly going to be a communication solutions mm. where we can, we can really translate the action into something that people can rally behind because without a clear and understanding. I think that, uh, as you mentioned, it, it's very important that we actually look at uh, the bright future and realizing that even if the world was great 20, 30, 50 years ago, depending on what kind of perspective you have, 
it's never going to be like that again. The future is going to be different, but it might be better. But it's actually up to us to make sure that uh, it becomes better, that we take care of each other, not only as uh, citizens, but as humans. We have to care for each other. And that means that we will have to make the, the planet habitable for all of us. And that means we need to eradicate poverty and we need to make sure that there is enough food for everybody and health for everybody. That's the only way that we can avoid a lot of the potential crisis. And that's a huge undertaking, but um, we can all do our part in it. It's not like it's uh, you have to solve everything yourself, but if you can do a small part of making the planet more habitable yourself, then together it will be a huge movement. Uh -huh. What do you think about a, a project that would enable you to see the positive, the, the positive side of climate change in numbers? I think that do you is there something like that where you, because I know there's a lot of information and resources on like how many carbon emissions or carbon equivalent emissions are being produced, but I, I struggle to find in my memory and online anything that would be like, since we started talking about climate action, we've managed to do those positive things. Is there something like that? Do you, do you know something? Not that I can recall, but it, it's like you said, it's always a question of communication. How can you actually let people know that we're going in the right direction in a lot of different ways? Because it's hard, because if we're talking about tons of carbon dioxide being captured, it's just a boring number. Yeah. If I'm showing the square kilometers of ice that's being saved, well, the Antarctica and Arctica are still melting. What are you talking about that we have already saved these square mm -hmm. kilometers of ice? So it's very hard to put it in pictures and explain it in a way that, that feels meaningful. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it would be great if we could do it and uh, the the trade-off is there well this is how much better it is than it could have been and um, i don't know what do you think about the like ownership like usually when like the sense of agency that people can have what if we just gave everybody on the planet a piece of the planet just you know, everybody suddenly becomes the owner of some part of the of the atmosphere. Maybe that could change the approach. Like suddenly, I have a three by three by three uh, piece of sky. Please don't. Yeah. This is my cubic yard yeah. of air, and I need to make sure that it's as healthy as possible. Yeah, you're owner of it. You can. The future is gonna look so different. We're gonna have skyscrapers. You know that kind of that piece of atmosphere is going to be really expensive so maybe put more pressure on carbon taxing put more stuff because this is your property i don't know i've been mean... I mean, you need to take something you need to take a different approach to make people realize what you have and i'm not sure that uh, 
that would be so easy to grasp. But you need to do something, something like that to really put it tangible for everybody to understand that uh, it has consequences that their actions even for for the future. Yeah. Well, uh, if people are interested in talking to you specifically, uh, how, how can they reach you or your company? Uh, the easiest way is to find Celsibus on the internet. It's on celsibus.com and look for my contact information and they can always reach out to me there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I think let's, let's cut it here.